Galatians chapter 1. Last night we talked about our music having the right motive. And according to the schedule, we were supposed to be talking tonight about the music having the right message. And then on um, tomorrow we're going to talk about how music having the right messengers. I was planning on combining the two messages and messengers and moving on to the methods tomorrow night because we're going to alliterate everything. But uh, we'll just see how much we're going to get through tonight because it's really hard to separate these two concepts, the right messages and the right messengers. So let's take a look at Galatians chapter 1 and verse 6. Galatians chapter 1 and verse 6. I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you unto the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again. If any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. It's been 20 some odd years. I, I, probably, I think this took place in 2001. 2000, 2001. I was um, involved in a, a decent sized church while I was in college. And we were having a summer camp meeting. And what that translates into is they went out and set up a big tent in the front yard of the church and moved the services from the auditorium out to under the tent. And which really is just not as much comfortable because you don't have air conditioning, you have bugs biting and all these kinds of things. But their idea was we're changing the atmosphere to have revival. And uh, I was um, rooming at the time, because when I was in college, I was rooming with the dean of students' son, who was a troubled young man. And, um, and I say that because he would do things to get me into trouble. <laughs> and I never will forget, because I was talking with a pastor of the church, and for camp meeting, camp meeting not only meant they were going to move everything outside, it meant that music's going to be a little different too. Normally we would have piano and organ just like a regular church service, but we had special musicians there for the week, and uh, we had all kinds of extra instruments. Now any of you who may have known me for any length of time, there are certain instruments I am not fond of. And um, one of those happens to be, and please, if you like it, that is fine, you'll still go to heaven. But um, I'm just not a big fan of the banjo. Now, I know that's horrible things to say in the South, that you're not a fan of the banjo. It's just not my thing, okay? Maybe yours, that's fine. There's nothing sinful about the banjo. But um, my friend knew that I disliked the banjo, and there was a, the group of singers that were singing that week. They had everything on the platform. They had uh, dobros, they had guitars, they had banjos, they had all these various instruments. And I had cracked a joke to my friend. Um, I haven't hesitated to use that word friend. Um, this person that was my roommate. I cracked a joke a few weeks before, and I said to him, a joke, and so we were standing there, we were talking to the pastor and some people in the church, and Anthony said, tell pastor that joke you told me. And I knew as soon as he said, this is not a good idea. And I said, I tried to pass it off, and, and um, the pastor said, well, what was the joke? And I knew better. And I never mind, it was nothing, don't worry about it. And he kept pushing it, and Anthony, tell him a joke, John, tell him the joke, fine. And I said, I said, you know what the definition of perfect pitch is? And the pastor said to me, no, what is it? I said, it's the sound of a banjo hitting the bottom of a dumpster. <laughs> and you would have thought that I would have doused it with kerosene and flicked a match. I mean, he went just crazy on me. And I'm standing there like this, and Anthony's behind him. <laughs> and he made a statement 
and it's always stuck with me. Because he, he made a statement. He said, you know, because he was very upset because he thought I was criticizing the meeting and the music of the meeting and so on. He said, this is the music that will bring revival. And I thought to myself, okay. Well, and, and I was only a 19, 20-year-old man, young man at the time. I'm still trying to figure out life out and, and figure out exactly where I stand with everything. And I thought to myself, well, okay, let's try it. Let's see if this meeting, this church, experiences true revival. And within a year, that church had went completely into nuclear meltdown mode. I sit on the, in some of the business meetings, I mean, where I mean, people were storming out the back doors. It just was bad. And I remember sitting in one of those business meetings thinking, well, this is not revival. <laughs> because music is not what brings about revival. That's not the way it works. It may bring about an emotional experience. I remember sitting in that set of meetings. I was one of the two pianists in, this, in, the, in the meetings. And the, um, we would have 45-minute to hour-long invitations. And there was the two of us that would rotate on and off playing music the entire time. You haven't lived as a pianist until you played I Have Decided to Follow Jesus 32 times in a row. <laughs> Talk about repetition. And I saw all kinds of emotional experiences. I saw plenty of emotion. I saw tears. But we did not see revival. Because it's not synonymous. It's not how it works. And the reason I said all that to say this, because last night we talked about having the right motive with our music doesn't bring revival. Tonight we're going to talk about having the right message. We still haven't got down into the musical parts of it yet. But what is the message that we're going to be presenting with a song? What does the text say? What does the word say? And where does it all come from? And the Apostle Paul said to the Galatians, he was talking about doctrine. He said, if anybody preaches you any other gospel... He's to be accursed. But yet here we are taking all kinds of musicians and songs that teach other doctrines and we sing them in our churches. We've been doing it for years. Just the other day I was in, um, I was in a church in Florida helping with their um, uh, Christian School Association in Florida and the, and the church that hosted the event, they had a new hymnal. And this new hymnal is put out by um, a church in California, North Valley Baptist Church and Publications. It also hosts a college, uh, Golden State Baptist College. And they have a new hymnal that's been put out and edited. And I, I had some downtime and I sat and I looked through the hymnal and it has around 650 songs. And I, I started taking notes and I lost the paper, unfortunately. But I got to over 100 songs that is in that hymnal and I was only probably halfway through. And over 100 songs that are from charismatic Pentecostal sources. They're not Baptist. It was, it's songs and hymns of revival. And most of the songs have been written in the last 75 years by people. One of the most popular songwriters in that hymnal that they used over and over was Lanny Wolf, who doesn't even believe in the Trinity. He believes there's only one. It's the Jesus only movement is what they call themselves. Well, how, is, how are we supposed to get our doctrine from someone who does not even believe in the same doctrine we are, but yet our churches are singing their music? See, Isaac Watts, we talked a little bit about this last night. You know, Isaac Watts had some new concepts to when he came along, started writing hymns. And he put together an entire hymnal to teach children doctrine. One of those songs we sing all the time today, I Sing the Mighty Power of God. Do you know that was written for third and fourth graders? Eight stanzas. That's a little bit different than the song we learned last night, Potato Chip, Potato Chip, isn't it? Because he believed we teach 
the children doctrine. Romans chapter 16, verse 17. Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned and avoid them. No, we don't take their songs and sing them. We mark them and we avoid them. 1 Corinthians 15, 33. Be not deceived. Evil communication corrupts good manners. Ephesians 5.11, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. 1 Timothy 6.3-5, if any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing but doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds, and destitute of the truth. Now those are some pretty strong words, and if you I could put some names to that. Some songwriters of today. They're destitute of the truth. And that's why we looked at this passage of scripture last night, and I told you, mark it in your Bible, because we're going to be coming back again. Colossians 3:16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. What's it say there? It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. In other words, your songs should be full of Bible. They should be full of doctrine. What kinds of messages are we teaching with our songs? Who is teaching the congregation with our songs? Two years ago... Um, we began praying about moving to Tennessee. And we looked online and we found this church in White House and we decided just to randomly show up. And we sit on the very back row. We, we slipped in five minutes and my wife and I we had this discussion as we were coming here because we were talking about moving. We're going to find a church. And we sit on the back row and we just sang hymns. There were no specials. There was no choir members. And I was very disappointed not because I was looking for a show, but because I found out years ago that I can usually find out what direction the church is going by what kind of music they're doing. And there were no specials that morning, so we had to find out by other ways what, what this church was all about. But you will find a lot of interesting things. You can tell a direction of a church by the kind of music that they do. And the kind of music they do is a revelation of the heart. It's showing a temperature, what's going on in a person's heart. And what a church is comfortably, music-wise, will tell you what they're comfortable with in their own personal life. If you're totally comfortable with a church singing little ditties that have no scriptural content whatsoever, chances are you're totally comfortable with having very little scriptural influence in your life. And what is being taught behind the pulpit in the song? I'm fairly certain that every single person in this room would be very, very uncomfortable if the smiling preacher, Joel Osteen, was to show up and preach in this church. I dare say, I don't know that anybody would hang around. And I could mention several others. But yet... We're totally comfortable in a lot of churches with having false teachers promote their doctrines and their beliefs through their music. And this has been going on for a long time. And I want to touch on a few things. And, and I, I want us to think about it. Now, there's going to be some, some, some things I'm going to bring up. And I, I want you to just consider it, okay? Some of them are in the hymnal. In your hymnal, right here in the pews. And we just, because oftentimes we just get up and we sing and we don't think a thing about what we're doing. This is something that has, I, I was talking with um, uh, somebody just last night after the service. My musical journey has been just that. It's been a journey. In the early days, there are some people that I was totally comfortable with and I liked their music. Bill and Gloria Gaither, I, they could write some great tunes. And I was totally comfortable with our music. 
uh, growing up, we did a lot of, of music in our church that I'd be, I wouldn't do now. Let's just put it that way. Um, so I, when, I, when I approach a song, when I think about it, what, what is a song teaching us? And that said, historically speaking, there have, been, there have been a lot of controversies over the years. People say to me, well, it's okay to sing this song because we sing songs by Fanny Crosby and she was a Methodist. Or we sing songs um, by uh, Martin Luther and he was a Lutheran. Or my favorite, it's okay to do this kind of music because this fable, and I say it's a fable, has been told over and over, well, Luther used bar tunes. So it's okay for us to use rock and roll music because Luther used bar tunes. Well, that, well actually, no, he did not. That's a lie. Uh, he used folk tunes. There's a whole different thing between bar tunes and folk tunes. Folk tunes of his days were common tunes. Happy Birthday is a folk tune. They may sing it in the bar down the street, when someone has a birthday, but we can still sing it here on a Sunday morning when someone hits 92, and it's no different. There's a different thing between using folk tunes and bar tunes. We say, well, Martin Luther did. Well, this is true. This is true. However, the differences of musical style is a whole different world today than it was in Martin Luther's time. And that's a whole discussion we'll t- maybe, maybe touch on tomorrow if I can get into the history of it all. There has been many disagreements of them. There have been some songs that have been written by certain people that have passed down through time because they're valid. They're good songs, good text, good words. The author was in a great place or, or in a spiritual walk at the time, but people change. I could, I could take, take you to a number of songs in the hymnal, and I'm not going to do it, because there are certain songs in the hymnal that you will know and you will love, and they are great songs. And when that songwriter wrote them, they were walking with the Lord. But at the end of their life, they weren't walking with the Lord. Some great songs that you may know, and I'm not going to ruin it for you. Because people said that to me, why do you have to ruin everything? Well, I want to try not to, I want to ru- try to ruin as little as possible. But Fanny Crosby, Fanny Crosby wrote over 4,000 songs. We don't sing them all, because not every single one of them are good songs. Some of them are, and not, not necessarily wrong, they're just, they're just not that, that great of quality. But what kind of messages and what kind of messengers are we dealing with? What's the song teaching us? If we look through our hymnal, you can find a number of songs in there that have just kind of been passed down through tradition, and we sing them just because, well, that's just the way things go. One of the songs that happens all the time, and I hear it in churches all the time, is Battle Hymn of the Republic which has zero spiritual value. And I say zero spiritual values because Elizabeth Ward Howe was a a feminist woman who hated her husband and didn't even believe in God. But yet we have Battle Hymn of the Republic. And people sing it at at the uh, patriotic times, and a lot of people probably will sing it tomorrow. And if you ever go into a church and they're singing Battle Hymn of the Republic, don't stand up and walk out. Bless God, we don't do that here. <laughs> I brought that up to Pastor last year, and, and we went down to the camp on uh, 4th of July, and they did it three times that day. And every time they did it, everybody around me went. <laughs> because John doesn't like the Battle Hymn of the Republic. But when we're having a song service, as a congregation, we need to think about this. What is the message of this song? One of the songs that we sing, and, I, and I, sometimes you, you will find, uh, Dr. Johnson's mentioned it, and various other people have mentioned it. They say, when you, when you play the instrument, you look just bored. Well, it's because sometimes I'm bored. Um, usually on the organ, because there's just not a whole lot going on there. 
But my mind tends to wander, and I think about what we're doing. And one of the songs that I just became very bothered at a, year, a couple years ago was, because, what is this even teaching us? It was burdens are lifted at Calvary. Burdens are lifted at Calvary. You say, well, what's wrong with that song? Days are filled with sorrow and care. Hearts are lonely and drear. Burdens are lifted at Calvary. Jesus is very near. Burdens are lifted at Calvary, Calvary, Calvary. Burdens are lifted at Calvary, Jesus is very near. You repeat that phrase 27 times. First praise and worship song is what I call it. And the reason I say that is because what does this mean? Why are we repeating? And each verse starts out with life's just rough. But burns are lifted at Calvary, Calvary, Calvary. But it wasn't this kind of concept didn't come about until the last I mentioned last night to the middle of revivals and or, or the certain revival meetings in the middle part of the late uh, 1800s when all of a sudden we we're just teaching songs to get people to react to something. And that's when we stopped teaching doctrine. We just, uh, and that's a great concept. Yes, burdens are lifted at Calvary. But there's a lot more to it than that. In the south, I grew up um, in the mountains over on the other side of Cookville. And so growing up, we grew up singing a lot of sentimental songs. And, and even as a kid, I'm like, what are, where, where are the roses never fading in the Bible? And that's a very popular funeral song. I'm going to a city where the roses never fade. Where's that in the Bible? Or we would sing a song called, Just a Little Talk with Jesus Makes It Right. And I'm sitting there going, what's a fire wheel? Because in the chorus it talks about, uh, no little fire is burning and, and have a little fire wheel turn. That's, that is Buddhist theology. I found that out as an adult. <laughs> of the whole concept of spinning your little fire wheels, but let's just little talk with Jesus makes it right. And right after a little talk with Jesus, we sing sweet hour of prayer. Why? We're not thinking about what we're singing. But yet along came the Jesus movement in the 60s and the 70s and started doing contemporary Christian songs. And we're criticizing them for their repetitions and their, their little ditties and their empty phrases or empty songs. And, well, you've been doing it for years. Because we're not singing songs that are letting the word of Christ dwell in us richly. There's a lot, songs about heaven. I look forward to heaven. But you should be very careful with songs that begin with these two phrases. Imagine or I dreamed. Because usually they're followed up by a lot of things that are not right here. There's a, there was a very popular song back in the 70s and the 80s. I think it was, maybe it came around in the 80s and the 90, early 90s. It was on every single missionary presentation that missionaries would come through and they'd play the song in the background. And the song started out with, I dreamed it went to heaven and you were there with me. We walked along streets of gold beside the crystal sea. We heard the angels singing and then you called my name. And the whole song is, thank you for giving to the Lord. Do you really think that when you get to heaven that there are going to be random strangers coming up to you, thank you for putting your five cents in the plate so that, so that I could be saved over in Africa? Do you think really, that's what we're going to be doing in heaven? There was another song written called Faces. My father-in-law and I were talking about this the other day. I, it, and it's all about the same concept. When I get to heaven, I'll look at all the people that I brought there with me. No, you won't. When we get to heaven, there's only going to be one thing that's going to be the center, and it won't be you. All of these songs are me-centered. They're not Christ-centered. They're not God-centered. When we get to heaven... We don't know a whole lot about what's going to be there. The Revelation gives us some description. There's some description in the Old Testament. But there's no reference whatsoever that we're going to be standing around patting each other on the back 
for the things that we did. It's not going to be there. So why do we sing about it? Back in the 70s and the 80s, when contemporary Christian music was really, really picking up steam, there was a song that was written, I think it was around 1968, by a man who's considered to be the father of contemporary Christian music. His name was Larry Norman. And Larry Norman wrote a song called Why Should the Devil Have All the Good Music? And the whole concept of the song was pretty much that we can take the good music and put Christian words to it and make it even better. But it had the same concept of why is it all the heathen have all the fun and we don't? It's the same idea. What do you mean? Why does the devil have all the good music? The devil doesn't have any good music. There's no such thing. The devil doesn't have any good anything. So if you actually think that this music I really think that he was revealing something very interesting about how he looked at the music. So you're telling me this music comes from the devil? Is that, is that what the idea? But that's what Larry Norman wrote. It's a really, I would highly discourage you from looking it up. It's a hideous song. Um, because to be really honest, the devil did have the music and there wasn't anything good about it at all. In the early part of, uh, as music began to progress through the, through the, uh, the, the contemporary Christian artists, and there have been some songs that, that did have some decent text. They are few and far between. And we'll deal with some of them tomorrow night. But through this time period, there was a huge flippancy to how people addressed God. In Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah, let's go there. Isaiah chapter 6. In the the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and His train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims, each one had six wings, with twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people with unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King and the Lord of hosts. It's a little bit different attitude than another very, very popular song that came about. I was going to look it up here because I was going to read a few lyrics. And I was going to write them into my notes, but it didn't hit me until I got here. This song is sung in a lot, of, a lot of choruses with young people. You may know the chorus. And Rich Mullins wrote it, a popular CCM artist. The chorus goes like this. Our God is an awesome God. He reigns from heaven above with wisdom, power, and love. Our God is an awesome God. Very popular Chorus. How many of you heard the chorus, Our God is an Awesome God? How many of you heard the verse? When he rolls up his sleeve, he ain't just putting on the ritz. Our God is an Awesome God. There's thunder in his footsteps and lightning in his fist. Our God is an Awesome God. The Lord wasn't joking when he kicked him out of Eden, and it wasn't for no reason that he shed his blood. His return is very close, so you better be believing that our God is an Awesome God. What do you mean when he rolls up his sleeves, he ain't putting on the ritz? And I could read you the next few verses too, and it's just as flippant. There is not one single attitude about who God is, because what is Isaiah doing? He's on his face. And his very first remark is, woe is me, for I am undone. 
Our God is not, as one musician put it, your homeboy. That's not the way it works. And every single instance when mankind comes face to face with the presence of God, he has one reaction. He's on his face on the ground. Yet we have such a flippant attitude. And so we wonder why the young people in our generation are leaving the churches and and trying to find a more religious experience because God isn't there. As time has went on, in the early part, our church is mostly rejected in the early days much of what was coming on as Christian rock and roll. But there were some exceptions. One particular couple I mentioned a few minutes ago was Bill and Gloria Gaither. And we started singing the the Gaither's music. But Bill and Gloria Gaither, are um, they belong to Church of God in Anderson, Indiana. They're both graduates of, of, of the college there. They have written a few numbers that I would say that's, that, you know, the words are good, the tune is good, but they've written a whole slew of numbers where their doctrine is just plain off. They don't believe in the same doctrine that we believe in. They do, they, they do uh, 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 concerts, ecumenical concerts with uh, Catholic uh, uh, priests and Catholic ministers there. Uh, they do not believe in the same uh, prophetic doctrines that we believe in. Uh, they have a completely different belief on the doctrine of the Holy Spirit because they're Pentecostals, the Charismatics. Another composer that I, I've heard his songs in, and I don't know how many fundamental Baptist churches, a man by the name of Jack Hayford. Jack Hayford wrote a song called Majesty, Worship His Majesty. Majesty, worship His Majesty. And yet the song talks about kingdom authority. And kingdom authority has to do with latter rain theology where in the last days we're going to be able to pick up serpents and heal people. Because Jack Hayford, who pastors the Fork Square Pentecostal Church, doesn't believe in the same theology. But yet we have Baptist churches ever talking about kingdom authority. Dottie Rambo believed in oneness theology. Her, her and Lanny Wolf who wrote a number of, of popular songs that, that our churches sing, didn't believe in the Trinity. Andre Crouch, he wrote a song called My Tribute. How can I say thanks for the things you have done for me? And then the chorus, to God be the glory. And if you actually, uh, just a side note, uh, I, I noticed one day I heard this song and I was like, wait a minute. And I went over and looked at the piece of music and I was like, well, the first verse is, is identical to um, Frank Sinatra's My Way. It's the exact same tune, if you look it up. But uh, it worked for both of them. I don't think there was any copyright claims for either one. But uh, uh, you have Andre Crouch. He's called the father of modern gospel music. All of them have these titles, you know. And, um, but Andre Crouch had significant doctrinal uh, uh, issues. You find that he, uh, I, I, looking through his songs and looking through some of the statements he made, I don't even know if the man is saved. But one of the songs he wrote called uh, "The Blood Will Never Lose Its Power." The title's great. The words to the song talks about how the blood that gives me strength from day to day will never lose its power. That's not what the blood does. But everybody sings Andre Crouch's songs, but he also collaborated with Madonna and Michael Jackson and Stevie Wonder and Elton John. And you can keep on going and going. And that's why I could sit over here and, and I, I, I'm not, but I could uh, play some of Andre Crouch's numbers and cross them over and you'll find the stylistics. I can cross over every single phrase with Elton John style songs because it's the exact same style music. It's, it's, it's a pop style. Rodney Griffin. You say, who is this? Rodney Griffin. He wrote a song. I, I used when I when I worked at a college in, in New York for a while, I was it was Southern gospel music that I was fighting on a on a very frequent basis. 
And I asked him, I said, why are we doing Rodney Griffin numbers? And Rodney Griffin has won multiple uh, awards in the Southern Gospel music industry. But he writes these songs. He wrote the song, by the way, I mentioned earlier, called Faces. Um, and uh, he also wrote a song called My Name is Lazarus. And I heard this done by um, uh, um, at least two, if I could, maybe even three independent fundamental Baptist colleges. The song, My Name is Lazarus. And I said, well, that's really interesting because the, the song, My Name is Lazarus, the, it's a story song. And the story goes like this. Uh, you know the four men that brought uh, the, uh, the uh, lame man to Jesus? Well, um, as they were dragging him up on top of the roof, they were all having a conversation. This is all set to song. Um, and the first one says, you know, I was a, a, a blind person, and, but, and Jesus healed me, but I don't think he can, he can heal. This is a tough case. And the second person, well, uh, my, uh, uh, I was um, a lame person, and, and Jesus came, and it was all these different miracles that Jesus had healed. And the four, and, but wow, this is a tough case. I don't think Jesus can do this one. And the fourth one comes along and and this is when you do a dramatic key change so that everybody stands up and waves their Bible. Um, so the fourth one comes along and, well, the last course, I'm, well, my name's Lazarus. And let me testify, you know, Jesus rose from the, raised me from the dead, so of course he can do everything. Well, that's really clever and that's a cute song and everything. But the problem is that Jesus healed that man before Lazarus died. So the whole premise of the song doesn't work. Because, why? Because we're not really looking into the Bible to find out if the, 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 the text of the song actually is doctrinally correct. Jaron Davis wrote a song. He actually wrote a lot of songs. I, I, I will say that I probably saw 20 or 30 in that hymn I mentioned earlier uh, that, uh, that, that he had written. Um, wrote a song... Um, Holy ground. And I, I hear the song, We Are Standing on Holy Ground. It was interesting that that pastor that I mentioned earlier that said this is kind of music can bring out revival, he wanted me to do a song. He wanted me to do Holy Ground. And we were parting ways at that point in time. It's interesting, if you look at the text of these songs, you will look at it and say, There's nothing wrong with this text. And I will look at it, and I'll say, you're, you're probably right. There's probably nothing wrong with this text. And the priest down the street can look at it and say, yeah, I don't see anything wrong with this text. Fine text. And the Presbyterian church over here is going to look at it and say, this fine too. Because all of the music, all of the songs have to cross denominational barriers to be able to be sold and to be able to be passed. It's got to uh, uh, pass congregational barriers. Here's an interesting quote from Christianity Today. John Steele, who is heavily involved in the music industry, said you can have some pretty straight-faced but theological liberal Presbyterian church using the same songs that are being sung at a wild and crazy charismatic church, but they use different arrangements and adapt the songs to their unique settings. Don Main of Integrity Music, and these are people who promote this stuff. They're not people like me and you, the people who promote this stuff. He said, I've discovered that worship music today is transdenominational. It's transcultural. It bridges any denomination. 20 years ago, there were some many huge divisions between denominations. Today, I think the walls are coming down. In any concert that I do, I will have 30 to 50 different kinds of churches represented. Well, how are you going to be able to present strong doctrine... If you have 50 different doctrinal representations in their audience, that's why back in the 70s, when they began to do these huge rock concerts that involved all these different artists, they were specifically told certain words not to use. Words like blood. Words that would be controversial or certain phrases in certain doctrines like the Trinity. So, doctrines that you and I take strongly, they were just put it out, leave it out. And that's why I mentioned that the song a few minutes ago, Holy Ground, Barbara Streisand 
was at a funeral and heard the word, the song Holy Ground, and she thought it was really cool. And so she decided to record it. It's on one of Barbara Streisand's recordings because she said, it shows me that God is just in everything and everywhere. And Barbara Streisand does not claim to be a born-again Christian. But she can take a look at that song and just say, yeah, I can do that. Why? Because it's not really saying a whole lot. There's a, several places I could go, but it's, it's late. So let me end with, with, with these three. There are three very popular companies today that you will find their music everywhere. You will find their music in independent Baptist churches, Presbyterian churches, Methodist churches, non-denominational churches. You will find it everywhere you go. I've heard it sung by, I've heard songs by these companies. I've heard them in independent Baptist colleges, such as West Coast Baptist College. I've heard it in various uh, uh, quote-unquote independent Baptist churches where they say, we're just going to fix these up. And the three companies are... Hillsong, Elevation, and Bethel. Now, you may know one of those three, may two of those three, or three of those three. Um, the first one, Elevation, is, uh, a, is a, a mega church, is pastored by a man named Stephen Furtick. And Stephen Furtick has multiple campuses, and uh, Elevation Music, I would say, is the least controversial of the three. Uh, but uh, Elevation, the, the, the church there, has been heavily influenced by uh, charismatic and Pentecostal theology. Even though Stephen Furtick, his background is, believe it or not, Baptist. But he's, he's had, uh, he mingles in different circles and, and he's had T.D. Jakes uh, preach and he's preached along with T.D. Jakes, who again, they don't even believe in the Trinity. They believe God is in all of us. Following Jesus, and I quote here, doesn't change you into something. It reveals who you've been all along, which is really against the idea of, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. But elevation music would be, the I, I would say, the, the least known of the three. The top two are really Hillsong and Bethel. Bethel music is, is out of Bethel Church in California, uh, Bethel teaches some really interesting things. Just a couple months ago, I had a friend say, send me, and I don't know why people do this to me. Um, I try not to be controversial. I really do. Uh, but the, I think they're the trying to say, you know, well, this song is okay, right, John? And you don't say anything, and they're like, right, John? Don't poke the bear, okay? <laughs> and he sent, me a, he sent me a song, and it was done by Jen Johnson, whose father launched Bethel Church, and it was a song called The Goodness of God. And Jim Johnson is standing up there on the platform, I will sing of the goodness of God. And she's crooning along in a bartender kind of voice kind of way. And I looked at the words, and the words are just fluff. You know, I will sing, yes, God has been good, and God's been got me through all these trials and everything. But Jim Johnson's not going to write anything that's going to be any, anything strong doctrine. You know what I, why I say that? Because there was a conference where Jen Johnson was talking to a whole bunch of ladies. And she said, she said I'll, I'll quote so that I get it exactly right. Um, so my God, God, God to me, Jesus to me, and the Holy Spirit to me is like, like the genie in Aladdin. That's who he is to me. He's funny. He's sneaky. He's silly. He's wonderful. He's like the wind. He's all around When you use the term sneaky, is that a compliment? No. <laughs> she also went, and I'm, I'm not going to quote this one exactly, but she also was talking about heaven. Again, I, I warned you when people start talking about heaven, be careful. What she thinks the angels are doing in heaven. She said, she said I, I think the angels are chatting around the throne room of heaven and they're cracking jokes. And she said, I think, and I'm going to abbreviate my own and you can fill it in, in your imagination. She said, I think they're cracking jokes that have to deal with bodily functions. 
I actually do know what the angels are doing in heaven. They're saying, holy, holy, holy. They're not cracking jokes. But this is the kind of composers that's writing the music. She's one of the big name writers for Bethel music. Bethel teaches and practices all kinds of charismatic heresies, such as the continuations of the apostles and prophets. In other words, what we, uh, they're, they're around today. Tongues, healing, angelic and demonic sightings, clairvoyance, grave soaking, where they lay down on the ground on a grave to soak up the deceased person's anointing. The appearance of glory clouds, gold dust, angel feathers, and even raising the dead. But I can name you multiple Baptist churches that use Bethel music. Is Bethel music going to have music that is letting the word of Christ dwell in us richly? Bill Johnson, who's the pastor there, made this statement. He says he claims that without signs and wonders and miracles, you won't have the true gospel. He made another statement like, that was, did you know that Jesus was born again. He had to be born again because he became sin, is what Bill Johnson says. Again, with this kind of mindset on who God is and who Jesus is, they're not going to be writing songs. So when Jen Johnson is singing about the goodness of God, is she singing about her genie? What God is she singing about? Because it's not the same one I worship. Hillsong. Hillsong's been in the news a lot lately. And I, I, I will... Uh, um, oh, one other statement about Bethel uh, that I miss here. At every service, our worship team ushers us into the presence of God. Is that the purpose of music? No. No, it isn't. What about, what about Hillsong? Hillsong um, has, has, has written a whole slew of popular songs um, that have, have, have pretty much any church that's using the praise and worship music um, is going to be using a Hillsong number. One of the most popular ones was Shout to the Lord. Another one was Mighty to Save. Darlene Check, who is the founder of Hillsong Music. And by the way, the New York Times reported that Hillsong's music is without a doubt the most influential producers of worship music in Christendom. When asked why his church, Bill Houston, who pastors Hillsong, when asked it was why it was so successful, Bill Houston said, we're scratching people where they're itching. Which I find a fantastic statement considering the fact that the Apostle Paul warns about that exact thing. <laughs> Teachers having itching ears. But that's what Brian Houston said. And I'll, I'll, I'll close here with, with a few quotes by Darlene Check, who, who started Hillsong. They asked her what she envisioned in the future of the contemporary worship music, and she said, I had this vision a few years ago of how God saw the worshipers and worship leaders linked arm in arm, the production personnel and everyone that is involved in the worship of God. It was how I imagined God's heart for what we are doing. We're all in line. We're all slow. But we're all walking around and we weren't leaving anyone behind. We're taking everyone with us. In other words, unity. She went on to say, I've been in the Catholic Church in the United Church, the Anglican Church, and many other churches. And when worship is offered in truth, this sound emerges regardless of the style. It is the sound of the human heart connecting with its maker. None of the churches she mentions even know Christ. She went on to say, and her song or I'm sorry, one of her books, she discussed, and I'm skipping, I have, about, I have about two pages of quotes here, but we're going to skip down. She was talking about 
uh, a popular rock artist, you may have heard of him, called Sting. I watched Sting in concert. He was absolutely incredible. So much gift for one humankind. Thoughts raced through my head. My goodness, Sting, you're like King David, full of psalms, melodies, and music, and you sing as if you don't even know that his hand is upon you. If you know anything about Sting, which I hope you don't, he's not anywhere, anywhere close to where Christianity is. He's not King David. When a person has these kinds of, of ideas, that, that unity and togetherness is, is the most important result, then you will give up everything, because you have to, to have unity in oneness, if that is the goal. Our goal, and, and, and I have to close here because it's very late, but our goal is to have music that is honoring and glorifying to God. It is to have the Word of Christ dwelling in us richly, and if a person is offended by that, that's not our business. We are, our business is to stand for Christ and to present the gospel and let the chips fall where they may. Amen. It's not to bring about unity. It's not to make money. It's not to not offend. The gospel's offensive. When you present a person with a gospel and tell them, you are a sinner. That's offensive. Our music is to be different. I was, I was in an office when I was getting ready to step down from the music director of a college and a church and a ministry. And the pastor said to me, when a lost person walks through that door, I want the music of our church to make them feel comfortable. And I said to him, then I'm not your man. Because our music as Christians will never make a lost person feel comfortable. That's what we said last night in Psalms chapter 40. Many shall see it and feel comfortable. No. Many shall see it and fear and shall trust in the Lord. That's what our music is to do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us to look at the music that we're singing. Help us to examine it. Help us to be conscientious. Help us to pray about it. And more than anything, help us to have the music that you want us to have. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Pastor.